Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Boyle, and today I have a guest on the show, the lovely Kathy Fritz. Now, Kathy is a board-certified master hormone coach who helps women in perimenopause and menopause experience relief from hormonal symptoms like fatigue, hot flushes, moodiness, and insomnia. Her clients lose weight, discover their energy, feel sexy, and stop thinking they're losing their minds. So this conversation I have today with Kathy, we dive into perimenopause and menopause. We talk about weight gain. We talk about hot flashes and all the symptoms that can come as we are changing, hormonally changing through these stages of our lives. Kathy gives some, you know, really sound advice that's simple to instigate and really easy to do, which I think is something that sometimes we overlook. We always try to make it more complicated. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We both are are health nerds, as uh, Kathy says. So we love talking about this topic and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Kathy, welcome. So glad to have you on the show today. It's so good to be here, Kate, and hello to your audience from down under. Yeah, that's it. Well, everybody, there's an audience, we're we're all from around the world, but I do have a lot of people in Australia, and a lot of my uh, physical clients from the studio often come into class and say, oh, I I love this podcast, this week's podcast interview with your guests and all the rest of it, so it's lovely getting that uh, direct feedback from people. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that's fabulous. Now, before we dive into all things hormones, perimenopause and menopause, which I'm sure we could probably talk hours upon hours on, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. It's so nice to meet you all. I'm Kathy Fritz. I'm a board certified health and hormone coach. Uh, stateside, we have a national board for health and wellness coaches. That's kind of like the gold standard. And so I am certified through them. And I help Midnight Life Women, and I do that through one-to-one and group coaching. And most of my clients have symptoms like weight gain, insomnia, hot flashes, moodiness, dry vagina, low libido, hair loss, hair gain where you don't want it. The list goes on and on. Um, And so we address all of those symptoms through food movement and lifestyle choices. Which sounds amazing because I feel like there's so many women that will be listening in being like, yes, I need help with all of these things. But before we kind of dive into, you know, the nuances of all that, how has your own individual health journey led to where you are today? Because I feel like for the majority of us that work in the health field, there's been something that's led us to this point and why we're so passionate about what we do. Well, I am in that majority. So um, I started with my own hormonal imbalance in my mid-30s. And my doctor, who is very well trained in all things Western medicine, said, why don't you go and actually shut down communication between your brain and your ovaries? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) And I just said, well, that's just not for me, though. Like, I actually want them to communicate better. I want to figure out, you know, what's really going on here? Why is this happening? And so I had to do all my own research. I did tons of reading. I'm a huge nerd, side note. Most of us are, right? Um, And I just found out as much as I could about women's bodies kind of once they hit 35. And I found this totally fascinating um, area of information and was appalled at how totally undereducated the average woman is, whether she's in the US, Australia, Canada, Europe, wherever it is. There's such a lack of education and such a plethora of misinformation. 
So I really felt called to uh, my backgrounds in teaching. So there's the teaching piece of educating women about their midlife bodies and how they're different from their bodies in their 20s. And there's the coaching piece of wanting to get women results as I got myself results without having to do all the legwork that I had to do. Yeah. And I feel like so many women and myself included uh, have tried lots of different things when it comes to trying to help their menstrual cycle. I know for me, post having kids, my menstrual cycle went all out of whack and my doctor just wanted to um, put me like, uh, insert a marina essentially, and and that will fix everything. And I was like, no, 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 I am not going on this because that is just going to be pumping hormones into my body and I'm not going to know, it's going to mask everything essentially. So I went on the route of, you know, trying meditation, trying acupuncture, drinking Chinese herbs, you know, doing all the things, making sure my detoxification was really optimized through my body and through lots of different trial and error have finally, you know, gotten to a good point. But I feel like it took a long time and I tried lots of different things. Well, that's a beautiful journey right there, Kate. I mean, talk about advocating for yourself and really following your gut about what was going to serve you best. So I'm sorry it took so long, but props to you, girl. (laughs) But like you, I feel like there wasn't that support from the Mm. doctor. And look, they need to know. So I understand they need to know so much about so many things. So they, you know, tend to just go to their go-to that they have. But, you know, where do women go when they need real information that's going to support them if their doctor isn't an option? There are some great people on Instagram. There are awesome the time, you know, to divest into all of that research. So that's where people like you and me can help women out with whatever it is they're going through, because we've taken the time, we've taken the courses, we've gotten the certifications, we're the experts, and we can help them with that. Yeah. And if women are listening in, and they're like, okay, what should I know about my hormones that maybe I don't know? What would you say they need to start knowing about? Okay, so there's a couple different directions we can go with this question. Let's start off with what perimenopause is. Perimenopause is a sequence of events that, God willing, happens in every aging woman's body, okay? So it's not abnormal, it's not a disease, nor is menopause a disease, okay? It's a normal sequence of events that, if we're fortunate enough to live long enough, every woman's going to go through. And it can feel kind of random at times, even though it is, in fact, a sequence of events. And that's because our hormonal landscape changes month to month, and it's different woman to woman. <laughs> so that's where we kind of get this like, what in the world is going on during perimenopause? It seems like every single thing possible for some women, and some women are fine. It's just because of our body's reaction to this normal change. So what is the normal change? Okay, early in perimenopause, our progesterone is starting to dip. That means that we do not ovulate every month. So we're skipping ovulation some months, but we're still getting our periods every month. So you wouldn't necessarily know if you had released an egg or not because you're still having a period. You're still building that uterine lining. Now, while that progesterone is kind of on this steady decline, our estrogen's doing a bit of a um, high on some months, lower on other months. So some months we get a little bit more estrogen dominant and other months than, than other months. And again, this is over the course of time. Then our periods start to get irregular. So one of the things I like to mention is that symptoms predate period changes. A period change is not how we know we're in perimenopause. So this progesterone decline and kind of crazy estrogen roller coaster with a normal regular period is a very good indication that it's perimenopause, that you're already there. And then in mid-perimenopause, we start to get more of those period changes. So we define that as like 
around seven or more days of variance between cycles. So you get one on, you know, day 26, you're getting another on day, you know, 35. Um, So then you're like, okay, I'm definitely like really solidly in perimenopause. And then as we continue into later perimenopause, that estrogen is quieting down. It's also on the decline. And by the time we end up in menopause, our estrogen is at similar levels to when we were children, to when we were young girls. It's kind of fascinating to me, the whole uh, cycle of estrogen. cycle, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty, uh, I didn't, I knew estrogen levels obviously dropped as we, you know, got older and entered menopause, but I hadn't thought of it going back to that sort of pre-menstrual levels. Like I hadn't kind of made that connection. So yeah, it's kind of um, fascinating that it does go back to that in that sense. Now, if, you know, when it comes to uh, perimenopause and menopause, there are symptoms that often come with it in the sense that a lot of women start to experience, you know, often it's the hot flushes and things that come through in menopause that may start in perimenopause. But what are some of the things we can do to help minimize some of the effects of these symptoms? So this might surprise you. I know I talked a lot about estrogen and progesterone um, when I was talking about perimenopause, but the hormones that actually are going to make a really big difference are making sure our cortisol and our insulin are where they need to be for midlife. Now, cortisol is the stress hormone. Insulin is the blood sugar hormone. Just a quick, really basic definition of those two for your listeners. And so there's a few things. First, around the cortisol, de-stress, de-stressing with self-care. And I'll get more I can, I can touch on that a little more in a little bit, but the other piece is shifting our fuel source from glucose to fat. And this is the harder one, um, I think, for most women. The de-stress, you know, okay, a daily self-care habit, okay, I can, I can get into that, I can take a little off my plate, um, but shifting that fuel source, especially for those who are really carb dependent, that's hard. Um, and that's where a lot of clients that I work with need support. I don't know about you and your practice. Yeah, most people most people are carb dependent from what I mm-hmm. sort of generally tend to see generally tend to see. And then also, you know, knowing what good fat sources to put into the diet and then how we're building our meals around having a good balance of protein and fat. And if we're going to have carbs, a type of complex carbs, that's not going to push our blood sugar levels up and all the rest of it. So, you know, I think it's one of those things you need to individualize it for the person, but those basics are always fundamental. Oh, 100%. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the healthy fat versus the health compromising fat. Um, And in America, you know, gosh, we are awful about including terrible fats in all sorts of foods, including the healthy, uh, I'm using air quotes for those of you who are listening, healthy, um, you know, processed foods. It's amazing the kind of fats and oils you can find in there. Yeah, we've talked, uh, I always talk a lot about seed oils and trying to avoid the seed oils and that where possible. And it's really interesting because most of the time when I speak to someone, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't, you know, buy biscuits and crackers and things. So I don't have seed oils in my diet. And I'm like, you will because they're hidden in in everything, you know, whether or not it's like a pickled vegetable that you think is, you know, in a brine with oil, that oil will be canola oil or, you know, we have a lot of canola oil here in Australia. Or if you think you're having, you know, a healthy muesli for breakfast, generally one of the first ingredients is going to be a seed oil. So it's trying to go back to those whole foods wherever we can. Absolutely. And um, I'm so glad you mentioned the hidden nature of these seed oils because the other thing that's hidden is sugar. I mean, all the different names that sugar is hidden under and syrups and nectars and, you know, anything ending in O-S-E, people don't realize that's, yeah, that dextrose is sugar, added sugar, and it's not doing your hormones any favor. So you mentioned cut back on inflammatory oils. I'm mentioning cut back on sugar. And I'm going to say two more ladies, 
cut back on your alcohol and cut back on your caffeine. I'm not saying it has to be forever. I'm not saying that, you know, you can never have a glass of wine again, but it's amazing what happens when you take a break and see how you feel. Yeah. Well, I did have a conversation. This is a little bit different because it's related to a man, but I did have a conversation with a client the other day and she might be listening in and she was saying uh, that her husband has V, like a V drink. I don't know if that's in America, but essentially it's like Red Bull or or whatever. He'll have that in the morning. She said, oh, he has that in the morning because he doesn't drink coffee. And I said, for the caffeine? And she said, yeah, because he doesn't drink coffee. And I said, but he doesn't have to have caffeine in the morning. I said, it's getting to that point. And I said, I know you, they've got younger kids. So I said, she goes, yeah, he only, he only started drinking it after he had kids. And I said, probably because he's so tired because he's up in the night with the kids. So you can see how these habits come into play, but then they become part of the normal routine and it's Mm -hmm. trying to find other ways that we can, you know, you know, look at, going to bed earlier or creating a sleep routine or, you know, getting fuel and energy from the food you're eating rather than relying on these caffeine sources. But I guess my point is, it's, is that they do slip in and sometimes, you know, you know, his mindset was, well, I don't drink coffee and coffee is fine for caffeine. So essentially why would this energy drink be any different? And I hope that um, he took your uh, input <laughs> without crying that he couldn't have that drink anymore. Yes. Well, we'll see what happens. I'll touch base with her next week and um, see how that goes. But, you know, it was just a highlighting that also I think a lot of people think, well, if I don't drink coffee, then I'm I'm not having caffeine. But caffeine mm. is in tea. Caffeine is in energy drinks. Caffeine is in chocolate. Like it is in other foods mm-hmm. as well. It is. That's so true. And I I really like what you said about how they just kind of slip in these habits. And so part of the work I do, I'm sure part of the work you do is replacing habits with better habits, as well as shifting from using something as a habitual thing, whether it's, you know, caffeine from coffee or caffeine from the energy drink, and instead only leveraging it occasionally as a tool. Yes, and really utilizing it. If we are going to have it, having it in the best possible form that we are going to absorb better. So that mindset shift from this is a tool. Yes, exactly. And, you know, with, you know, swapping and having nutritional swaps in our diet, what are some of the other ones that you may recommend that if somebody is like, I really love my coffee, I really love my wine. What can they do to try to swap them out of the diet? Swaps are the way to go. Let me tell you, I think doing anything cold turkey is next to impossible, but swaps make everything better. So you asked specifically about, um, you know, the coffee and the alcohol. So there's the gradual decrease of regular coffee and switching it to a decaf. And then once you're on the decaf coffee and you're having less switching to something else that's even less caffeine um, and just kind of seeing, again, how does my body respond when I'm off of caffeine for a while? How do I feel? It's not saying you can never have a cup of coffee again. It's that experiment and being willing to see how does my body respond to this. Um, for you know the alcohol, I think you have to swap with something that still feels like a bit of a treat. Um, And so for people who are, you know, okay with natural sugars, um, there's a, there's a company over here, I don't know if it's over there called Sunwink. And it's a carbonated beverage, but it uses only natural sugars. So that's a better swap. Um, And then, you know, if they can get away from that, there's a company over here called Gia, G-H-I-A. And it's a bitters aperitif. And you add just like, or I add some sparkling water to it. And to me, oh gosh, it is such a treat. It's better than booze. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I didn't get there overnight. You know, I didn't go from really preferring a gin and tonic to enjoying my bitter aperitif (laughs) with, you know, seltzer water (laughs) right away. It was gradual, right? And that's another thing about, you know, working with a coach, as you know, as you practice, it's baby steps, it's getting to individualize um, a client's plan and taking, helping them to take those baby steps, you know, journeying alongside them while they, when they say, okay, here's my goal that I want to hit in three months. And we say, great, 
what's the first step to that goal? And if it looks like they're taking five steps at once, we say, oh, let's hold off there for a hot second. And no pun intended. (laughs) Um, And let's back up and say, well, that's a really big first step. So what would be a smaller first step just for this week? We'll get to that one. Let's, well, what would a first one be? Yes. I, um, another swap. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I do find the biggest probably hurdles that people don't want to give up is the alcohol and the coffee. They seem to be fine to give up the sugar, usually most of the time, and fine to give up, you know, the the bad type of fats. But when it comes to the caffeine and the alcohol, they're the ones they tend to want to hold on to. Hey, they are very functional crutches, let me tell you. I've found it in my own life. I've found it in my clients' lives. So it's understandable. People are worried that they will do, you know, not have energy, not be fun, not be able to relax, whatever it is, whatever that quality is that they're seeking through that particular substance, they're worried they won't be able to find it any other way. And that's where, again, working with the coach is so great because we've got lots of ideas. We've journeyed this already with lots (laughs) of people. Exactly. And go on with the other, you were going to talk about some other nutritional swaps and stuff as well. Oh, one of my favorite swaps um, for women is swapping out a grain and putting in a vegetable instead, because for our estrogen metabolism, we really need more leafy greens and more cruciferous vegetables, which are things like cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Um, We need more of those than we used to. And, you know, a lot of women, um, still like their rice. They still like their pasta. So it's helping them swap out those grains for a vegetable, which is going to help them reach their health goals. And and a lot of times it addresses things that they didn't even know were bothering them, like bloating. Like, oh, you know, since we started, uh, and I just feel so much less bloated. I didn't even realize how bloated I felt when I ate, but now I don't. Why do you think that is? And I always put it back to them, right? Like, well, what do you think it is? <laughs> well, I do love um, that cauliflower rice has become such a, a big thing yes. now because it is so delicious and, you know, you can swap it for normal rice and get another serving of veggie in and your cruciferous veg and it it's not, a, again, a huge deal or a huge big thing to be able to do. Absolutely. And, you know, most of the time when we eat rice, it's with some sort of yummy sauce. So, you don't even have to worry if you don't really like cauliflower. It's amazing how good it tastes with whatever sauce is going on, you know, your your dinner. Yeah, your stir fry or, or your curry or something like that. Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that you can download a free 15-minute core Pilates workout that I've designed especially for you to work your entire body and your core, including your pelvic floor and deep layer of abdominals to really build strength, stability, and mobility. This is a nice quick workout you can fit into your day. It's definitely 100% doable. You don't need any equipment to do it. And I guarantee once you finish your 15 minutes of Pilates, you will feel stronger, more energized, taller, and really joyful and happy for moving your body and getting those endorphins moving. So don't forget, head on over to the show notes and download that free core workout and try some Pilates with me. I can't wait to see you on your mat. Now, what is considered normal when we are going through perimenopause and menopause? Because I do feel like, you know, I'm not through, I'm probably, I'm in perimenopause, I would say, um, not having a lot of symptoms from it yet, but I've, I'm 40, so I will be there. Um, but talking to a lot of women and stuff that come through the studio that are going through perimenopause and menopause, they often talk about the hot flushes and the night sweats. And it's, it's a, they consider it as this is like part of menopause. This is what's happened. And now we've just got to work out how to get it under control. And that is part of my mission, Kate, is to reiterate women that that is a lie that they're being told by their society. It is not normal to have hot flashes. It is not normal to not be able to sleep. It is not normal to gain all this weight around the midsection, but but it is incredibly common. Mm. But just because something is common does not make it normal. What's normal is the hormonal shift that I talked about earlier. What's common is from that shift comes 
all these symptoms that your clients are telling you about. So that's um, really important, I think, for women to understand. And because they're not normal, because that's not their body's you know, desired state, um, there's a lot that they can do about it in order to address it. Um, I did want to make one little side story here that in certain cultures, there's not a word for menopause. There's not a word for this time of life. It's just part of life. And because they're the women in these cultures do not experience symptoms, there's mm-hmm. not a word to kind of set it off from any other part of life. Um, the other one I love is, um, oh, it's, I think it's in Japanese, but don't quote me on that. Um, their word means second spring. Doesn't that sound so much nicer than menopause? <laughs> it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Like I want a second yeah. spring. And truly, um, right? So truly, it can be a second spring for all women, no matter what culture they're from. And therein lies the shift that needs to happen at a societal level. Hmm. It's just trying to get, I guess, it's going to take time and, you know, education and, you know, I guess building systems and things into place so that people do understand that this stage of our life can be a second spring. Absolutely. And I think we, you and me, our generation is the one that is going to start that shift so that by the time my daughter is in her 40s, She'll have a very different expectation about what midlife is going to be than you and I had. And ours is different from what our mothers and grandmothers experienced. It's going to happen. We're part of it. Yeah. Let's let's uh, hope it's happening sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. So the big question is, what are the practices that we're going to be trying to add in or habits or things that we can do to help reduce these types of symptoms of the hot flushes and the insomnia that come through? So I I think it's really important to start with stress management. Again, getting back to those original um, or master hormones, the cortisol and the insulin. So I think stress management really needs to come to the forefront of every woman who's entering midlife. She needs to figure out what Um, releases her stress, how she best manages it, and commit to that. So that's one thing that I think has to happen. Um, Secondly, I think it's that fuel swap, you know, really getting our bodies used to burning fat instead of only being able to burn glucose. Um, And that does mean shifting the macros from being super carb dependent to being more fat and protein and less carb. And that can be really hard. Um, so those are two, you know, the, I would say the two things that we have to start with. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about the stress piece is that our bodies don't actually know the difference between perceived stress and actual stress. And this goes back to our ancestors. Genetically, we're not so different from our ancestors from 10,000 years ago. Um, and so we needed a really good fight or flight response so that we didn't get eaten. <laughs> um, and so that that hasn't changed. And so our bodies don't know the difference between you're being chased by a lion and I have this deadline at work. And if I don't hit that deadline, then I might get in trouble with my boss. One is life threatening. The other really isn't. Um or, you know, the, uh, stress about something that might happen. You know, I might be late for my appointment, whatever it is. Again, it's the same response from our body. So although I always tell clients, all right, first things first, you know, one daily self-care habit, eventually there needs to be stress management tools that a woman can access throughout her day. Because we have moments of perceived stress throughout our days. I forget what the estimate I read of that was, but I think it was something like 200 times a day. We have a perceived stress. And so we need to be able to access tools that bring us out of that fight or flight 
into back into that parasympathetic nervous system being at work. Well, I'd probably agree. Like if you think of just from, you know, someone that's working, if every time, you know, you're at work for your daily work and you might check your emails at work, I don't know, 10, 15 times, 20 times a day, maybe more if you're checking it every half an hour, every 20 minutes, you know, so there again, there's a sort of alerts that are coming through that you might be like, oh, I need to reply to that one. Oh, you know, so there's one sort of type of stress. If you're then looking at the news while you're having lunch or whatever, there's more sort of perceived stress that can be coming in. Or even if you're, you know, jumping on social media and scrolling through and then starting to fall into the comparison sort of trap and that. So I can definitely see how it could add up to those types of numbers. I love all of those examples, Kate. Those are awesome. Yeah, but things, all things that we probably need to uh, work on, like, you know, dialing down as much as we can. I just had a, a podcast interview with a mindset coach and she was talking about, you know, being present in the moment and, you know, adding in some breathing techniques before, say, eating meals and, and things like that. But then, you know, I said to her, but most people if they are waiting in a line, they'll pull out their phone and check their emails and notifications. And we filled all these spaces that we used to have where our, you know, our nervous system could calm down and have some time. We filled it with those perceived stress by pulling out our phone or, you know, trying to get stuff done on our phone in between on all these in-between times. And how did she respond? I mean, that's a great comment. What did she say? Well, she said 100%. (laughs) She's like, yeah, we're all guilty of doing it at some point. So she said, you know, you might pull out that phone to, to check something off or use the phone as a reminder that every time I pull out my phone before I use it, do three to five slow deep breaths and then feel if you Mm. really need to use that phone or can you go off and do something else or think about something else or, or whatever. So she almost sort of said, use it as a reminder because you're going to do it automatically almost. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. That reminds me of one of my clients. Um, I taught her this little widget app on her phone so that she could have right when she opened her phone, a mantra for herself that she would read. So in that same vein, you know, if you want to remember to do four breaths of boxed breathing every time you open your phone you just use a widget and have that almost like a post-it note right on your home screen yeah another um a goal setting coach said to me um to use your notes so you write in your notes what your say it might be your dreams or it could be your to-do list for the day or whatever it is and then you use take a photo of that and use that as your screensaver so every time that you click on your phone you've either got your dream list or, or whatever it may be so you're using that phone as a reminder which is another sort of great tool as well I think oh, I love that yeah now weight gain is another sort of area that tends to come into play around this time and I know it's an area that a lot of women struggle with they sort of often say you know the things that I've been doing that have usually been fine and I've been at you know this weight for I don't know 10 15 years and then all of a sudden they start gaining weight even though nothing they feel like nothing has changed in their regular routines This is probably the most common story that I hear from clients. So I'm so glad you asked about it. Um, I think the first thing I would tell any woman is that you are not alone. This is not only happening to you. It's incredibly common um, during this time. And the second thing would be, yes, your body is different from your 20-something-year-old body. So please do not count calories. Please do not do the calories in, calories burned approach. Uh, It doesn't work in midlife. It will not serve you. It will frustrate you. And it may even make you gain more weight. So not that we're not going to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, we've talked a little bit about the fuel shift, the importance of the fuel shift. So that's a huge part of it. Um, there are a lot of weight management tools out there and it's not a one size fits all, no pun intended, um, for weight management, but I'll mention a few of them. So 
A tool that's become very popular recently is called intermittent fasting. There is a ton of information on it. Um, there are a lot of opinions on it. There's not as much research in peri and postmenopausal women in intermittent fasting, but there is more. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence about intermittent fasting. My approach is that it is a tool that does not work for every woman. There are certain women who should not use it and you have to play with it to figure out what is best for you. And I personally believe that a rigorous approach to intermittent fasting is not good for any midlife woman. I believe there needs to be some flexibility. Um, so for, as an example, I think most women should not be exercising in any sort of fasted state. So if you're going to exercise in the morning, it means you do need to fuel before then, um, unless it's just some sort of light exercise. Um, there are obviously situations where this might not be the case, but I think your average midlife woman should not exercise in a fasted state unless it is walking, gentle yoga, something like that. Um, and that's what's worked for my clients. There are some practitioners who will say, no, you can totally be in a fasted state. In fact, it'll help you burn more. I find in midlife women, it puts them into that stress state and they can't get out of it afterwards. And their body's cortisol is totally wackadoo and their insulin is all over the place. So again, it has to work for an individual woman. I don't, I could, we could do a whole podcast on intermittent fasting. So I'll, I'll leave yeah, that there. 100%. <laughs> I'll leave that one there. Um, other, you know, weight management important uh, exercise is weightlifting. Midlife women should be doing some sort of strength training. Um, muscle is a glucose sponge. So it absorbs the glucose and you wring it out by using the, uh, using your muscles in that weight training or, uh, you know, yoga where you're doing more weight bearing, and then it'll refill with glucose from the bloodstream that then will not get put into fat, um, into adipose tissue. So weight training is really important for midlife women, as well as for, you know, bone health, the weight training is really important. So that's another useful tool. We've talked about stress management. Um, that is important. So I won't go into it because we've already touched on it. And I always tell women, if you are not sleeping and sleeping well on a regular basis, you will not resolve any of your symptoms. Um, and that sleep is at the, you know, foundations of good health. And so that is essential that they figure out a sleep routine that works for them, that they work with their circadian rhythm, that they establish good sleep hygiene, um, because weight loss will not happen if they're not sleeping. Yeah, well, they're all the things that I tell the women I'm working with. Exactly. So that's amazing. And, but I will say that a lot of women do struggle with sleep, you know, mm. waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall back asleep once they sort of hit, you know, late perimenopause, menopause. So do you have any sort of, you know, tricks and tools for these women that may be struggling with that sort of falling back asleep if they're waking up in the middle of the night? Yeah, there's really two types of challenges. There's not being able to fall asleep and there's waking up in the middle of the night and then being up. So for the waking up in the middle of the night, being up, that um, is definitely sometimes a stress thing, right? Where the mind just gets going. Um, so I love using essential oils. Do you use essential oils at all? I do. I like lavender and <laughs> there you I'm go. a big peppermint fan and yes. So yeah. Awesome. So lavender is well known for sleep support, um, but it's not the only one. So cedarwood is excellent. Eucalyptus globulus. Um, that sounds kind of gross, but <laughs> it's a really great sleep support <laughs> oil. Roman chamomile is beautiful. Vetiver is a great sleep oil. So if you have a diffuser, um, popping some oils in a diffuser, or if you don't, just putting a drop or two on your pillow and doing some breathing. Um, if you like meditation or prayer, you know, doing that, or if you like to listen to um, something to fall asleep, doing that. I, I think there was a podcast called The Sleep Stories. Um, 
one of my clients was telling me about a podcast she listens to that is so boring on purpose to put people to sleep. Mm-hmm. Not like this podcast. This podcast is fun and fascinating. Uh, it's actually the purpose of the podcast. That's hilarious. There is seriously a podcast out there for everything, isn't it? I'm going to have so to look true. it up now and see how boring the stories are. Well, if you can't find it, email me and I'll try to, um, I'll ask her which one it was. <laughs> That's so funny. And then if you've got people that are struggling to fall asleep, what do you recommend for those people as well? So I do like the oils. A really good bedtime routine is important. Um, Off of screens at least two hours before bed. Um, Not just blue light sensitivities, but actually light sensitivity can play into it because it can mess with the circadian rhythm. So dimming your lights as much as you can. um, Truly. And, and truly being aware of when you start to get sleepy, because if we push through that first sleepy phase, we're going to stay up. We'll always get that second wind. So it's pushing that bedtime earlier, pushing probably your bedtime routine earlier, um, and really, you know, honoring the feelings of sleepiness, allowing yourself to lean into those. Um, a couple supplements that I like for sleep support are magnesium and taurine, which is an amino acid. Um, sometimes just the magnesium alone, but sometimes it's really the combination of the magnesium and taurine that helps. Um, and that's a, that's those are a duo that help with a lot of perimenopause symptoms. So you might start taking it for sleep support and notice, wow, my hot flashes have gotten a lot better. Um, so I, I do like those supplements. I'm not a fan of using melatonin regularly because if your body starts to expect a supplement at the same time every night, it's not going to make its own. Um, but magnesium and taurine is a better direction to go in. And then I don't, um, pers- I can't prescribe as a health coach, I can't prescribe bioidentical hormones, but um, for some women getting a bioidentical progesterone makes such a difference in their sleep quality. And so if um, there were ever a time that everything we tried didn't work, I haven't had it happen yet, but you know, as I help more women, it's possible. Um, then I would, if everything we tried didn't help with her um, sleeping, I would suggest that she um, ask her doctor for a bioidentical progesterone. Yeah, we actually just within uh, the membership I run, we just had a pelvic floor physio come in who specializes in perimenopause and menopause. And she was talking about all the different Types that you can get with hormone therapy or hormone replacement therapy. And um, so that was a a great guide because I know myself not having gotten to that stage yet, you know, there are different options for women out there. It's just going to someone that can tell you what your options are, essentially. Absolutely. A knowledgeable, um, you know, provider, whether it's a health coach, physiotherapist, doctor, naturopath, whatever direction you go in, someone who's really knowledgeable about midlife women and what they need is is going to be worth worth it in every way, shape, form. And talking about hormones and segueing to hormone testing, mm. I know many women are curious about, do we need to test our hormones? And if we do, what testing should we get done? So this is another one where opinions vary. So I will share a few different lenses and share what mine is as well. So you can test your hormones through blood, urine, and saliva. Whenever you test, you're going to get a snapshot of one moment in one day of your one month. Now, if you remember, I said that your hormonal landscape changes month to month during perimenopause. It's not the same every month and it's not the same through the month, right? Because of our Mm. ovulation. So if women really want to get their hormones tested, I say, go ahead. I don't do it um, because I'm much more interested in how you feel. No matter what your testing shows me, I want to know how you feel. And the testing, if you want to share it with me, I'll take a look at it, but it is not going to dictate the course you and I follow. Um, There are some providers who really want that testing and that's, you know, and, and that's helpful for what it is they're doing, how they're serving their clients. The way I serve my clients, I don't need the testing. 
Um, now, as far as testing goes, I recommend the Dutch test. Um, and that just gives a better kind of view of everything. Um, you get, I believe you get estrogen metabolites in a Dutch test, which is inf interesting information to have because certain estrogen metabolites are more desirable than others. So you can kind of see the pathways that your estrogen is following when it's being metabolized. And so then you can, that might influence, you know, maybe you up your cruciferous vegetables even more, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Um, I do think, you know, your cortisol levels are interesting to test over the course of a day because you want to see high in the morning, gradually lowering. Um, so it, it can be interesting information. I don't find it necessary in order to help women. Yeah. And I'm a bit the same. Like if you, you know, often people will come in and bring me their blood work, which is great because we can look at their overall you know, where's their iron lat? Where's their vitamin D at? Look at some of these sort of basic nutrients and blood sugar levels, you know, with that sort of thing as well. So it's a good, as you said, a snapshot um, and gives you some information, but it's not all the information. It's how you feel. What are your energy levels like? You know, are you going to the toilet regularly? You know, all of these types of things, your body gives you so much information that way uh, that, can influence, I think, overall what's obviously going to shape your habits. So sometimes that information is it's great to have, but, you know, the combination of it can be good too. Well, and I never want a woman's blood work to undermine her intuition. I find a fair amount of the work I do with women is helping them re-engage with that intuition and re-trust it. They've been, I don't know, kind of told by doctors, society, whomever, that you don't really know what's going on with your body. You really just like, let the doctor look at your blood work. They'll tell you. And just to use thyroid as an example, I mean, your average doctor is not going to order a full thyroid panel for you, but that's really the only way that you're going to have a true sense of how your thyroid is functioning or not. So again, I don't care if your TSH is normal. If you have zero energy and have, you know, are losing your hair and you're cold all the time and, you know, all these other symptoms, I'm going to wonder like, huh, I, I think your thyroid might need some support. Yeah, that's it. And also in the reverse of that too, sometimes, you know, you do hear of the women that that know that there's something not quite right within their bodies and they get the testing done and it doesn't show anything and they're, they're you know, think it's okay. And some women are like, no, there is something definitely not right. So then they have to explore the next avenue of getting other exploratory testing or things done. So having that intuition can be very powerful no matter what the first basic test may say. Absolutely. Now, we always like to sort of wrap up our podcast by getting our guests to share one piece of, you know, health advice or information that if the listeners are listening in and they want to go away and instigate something straight away after listening to this podcast, what would it be? I would say first that perimenopause is this critical window of opportunity, ladies. Don't let it pass you by because it's just so much harder to move the needle once you're through perimenopause. It's possible. It's just going to be a little harder. And so the first thing I would do, no matter where you are, perimenopause, close to menopause, postmenopausal, I would say pick one daily self-care habit and make it non-negotiable. It should be something you look forward to. It doesn't have to take 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be a bubble bath if you do not like to take baths. <laughs> it can be whatever it is that fills you up and makes you feel loved. Um, make it non-negotiable every single day. Yeah, and I think it's that prioritizing it, isn't it? You know, because so many of us say, oh, we don't have time and we've got too many things on. It's just another thing to add to our day, but it's really making it the top of our priority list because if we're not 
You know, we've all heard it before. If we're not looking after ourselves, how can we look after others? But there, I can't remember where I heard it. It was a podcast um, and they were having a conversation and they said, you know, um, between a couple, they asked each other what your number one priority was. And one of them said, well, you're my number one priority. And they said, no, yourself needs to be your number one priority. Your health needs to be your number one priority. And I could be, you know, two or three down the list, but you need to be able to put yourself first because otherwise how are you showing up for your day if you're making other people your first priority? I don't know where I heard this, but I always have liked it. If you don't take care of your body, where will you live? Yeah, exactly right. And I think we all take it for granted. While we have good health, you know, we do take it for granted because it's just something you tend to have. But once you you may get into a stage where maybe you, you know, get into an illness or you're constantly tired or you're at the start of burnout, those types of things, you then appreciate how much your health impacts every part of your life. So if you don't have it, you don't have quality of life. Absolutely. It is easy to take it for granted until it's gone. Yes. So we're going to all go away from after listening to this and uh, put something in that we can do daily so that we do keep our health um, for as long as we can and have, uh, you know, that longevity um, and good quality of life. And if you're one of Kate's physical clients, you'll have to tell her what it is at your next session. Yeah, exactly. Come into the studio and and let me know what your non-negotiable is that you've just instigated every day. Now, Kathy, where can listeners reach out and connect with you? Uh, You can check my website, Kathy with a K, Fritz, F-R-I-T-Z, coaching.com. And you can find me at the same spot on Instagram at Kathy Fritz Coaching. Those would be the two places I'm hanging out the most. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wealth of wisdom. I know listeners are going to get so much out of it. Oh, I had so much fun just talking shop with you, Kate. I love being a guest on a podcast with someone who's so aligned. Well, it's always lovely just to, you know, chat about health and and all these things that we are dealing with with our clients, you know, on a daily basis and hopefully getting the world the word out there just so that from one of my goals is I just want women to feel better. I just want them to know that what what health can be, and it doesn't have to be hard, but the flow on effect it has to every other area of your life is immense. So, you know, thanks again for coming on the show. That's a beautiful way to wrap it up today, Kate. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated each time we release a new podcast.